full of amazing stories. And the purpose of this podcast is to collect those stories from the people that lived them. Where We Landed is a podcast that recognizes our whole story told by the individuals that live and love this small Indiana county. Welcome to Where We Landed. It's our podcast about all things Grant County. I'm Scott Miller, one of the hosts, and joining me today is Alicia Hazelwood. Hello, hello. And also a guest host today, Kirk Horniker. Hello. Hey, Kirk, great to have you as our guest host. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Alicia, and we're going to dive right into our guest today and uh, allow Alicia to introduce her. Yeah, it's kind of weird not having Iris and Kylie here with us today because, you know, Kylie always makes sure that I don't make things awkward and then yells at me when I do it anyway. But... I do have an amazing friend that's going to be on the podcast today with us. So I'm excited to introduce everybody uh, to Sarah Farmer. I met her when I was working at the United Way. She sent me a bunch of interns and stuff, and we started to share and talk about our passion for community development, nonprofit work. And so Sarah is a practical theologian. Um, She teaches and works in community development um, and the areas of faith formation, youth ministry, and transformative Pedagogy. Pedagogy. I knew I was going to mess it up, so I appreciate you filling me in. Um, She came to us um, in two Grant County through Indiana Wesleyan, and we'll let her tell that story. But she's also been an associate research scholar and lecturer at Yale Yale Divinity School and helped direct Adolescent Faith and Flourishing Program at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. So um, Sarah is an absolutely amazing leader and woman, and I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. So tell us, I shared a little bit, you ended up here (laughs) through Indiana Westland, but tell us, um, how did you go to all of these different places in college? What was that walk life? And then how did you end up here? Wow. So I actually um, born and raised in Chester, Pennsylvania, which is um, outside of Philly. So if you're Headed on 95, Chester is right in between Philly and Delaware. Okay. Um, And then from there, um, actually, my brother kind of started getting recruited into some, uh, like, hustling and things like that. My mom really wanted to get him out of the neighborhood. So um, she, you know, with a lot of uh, families of color have done, you know, where can we send them? And they send them down south. And um, so we... Uh, went to um, South Carolina to live with um, my grandfather. Um, and from there is actually where I uh, graduated okay. high school. So I went, um, did ninth grade in Chester and then finished high school um, in South Carolina. Um, from South Carolina, that's actually where um, I was recruited to Berea College, which I love. That's my alma mater, okay. undergrad. I don't know if you know anything about the history of Berea College. No, Sure. So um, Berea College was created before the Civil War um, to educate both blacks and whites and also men and women. And so before the Civil War, in fact, to live in the town, the city of Berea, you actually had to sign a covenant that you would live next to someone of a different race. And so even how they have their plots set up, it was white, black, white, black. Um, So very integrated very early. Yes. And so 
Um, and currently, every student that attends now, there's history that where the state of Kentucky created the day law, and there's a, right. a history to what ha- you know happened there. But currently, every student that goes there gets a full tuition scholarship, and the school continues to be a school that um, is really created for people who have low income to have a quality um, education. So you have to make below a certain income. So everybody can't go there, only those who make a certain income. But it's full tuition. Every student that goes there has to work. And so you get real work experience because we pretty much run the college. Um, And so, you know, um, being there, I was the editor of the student newspaper, but I was also a residential coordinator, uh, uh, coordinator, which was how they talked about the residential custodian, sorry. Um, So a janitor. Um, (laughs) And then I also did did workshop presentation coordination and became a chaplain. And actually, um, when I was the chaplain at the university is really when I got interested in kind of where I went next, which to seminary. Um, And so um, after, um, and I graduated from Berea College, I did uh, English. And I thought about doing theater um, because I like to act. So instead of doing the major, I just acted in a play for colored girls who committed suicide when the rainbow oh, was enough. Wow. Um, and then from there, um, went to Emory University in Atlanta, and that's where I got both my Master's of Divinity degree as well as my PhD in religion. Um, and when I was at Emory, um, I focused uh, on religious education, um, community transformation, and also like black church studies. Um, and then from... Emory, um, I was recruited to um, Yale Divinity School to work as a um, associate research scholar, um, research faculty on a grant called Theology of Joy and the Good Life. Mm. And so I got to work with a team of other people under the direction of Miroslav Volf um, to kind of explore issues around adolescent faith and flourishing. Um, and then it's actually from Yale um, that I was then recruited here to um, Marion through Indiana Wesleyan University. So that research study, like you lit up when you mentioned this research study and the work that you did in this, um, is that something that is published that we could read about? Like the, the theology of joy is just something that sounds fascinating to me. It's public. It's a lot of publications out there around. Uh, kind of the work we did. Um, if you look up Yale Center for Faith and Culture, um, one of my friends, Angela Carell, she wrote The Gravity of Joy, for instance, which is all over the place um, right now. But um, there's a lot of work. If you okay. just look up the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, okay. um, I, yeah, it's a book, The Home the home for God, that Miroslav and Ryan McAnally Lenz wrote. I mean, it's a lot lots of work. Of yeah, lots of stuff out there. <laughs> it, I mean, what I mean, what was so cool about the project is we brought scholars from not just around the nation, but around the world to talk about um, kind of like what gives people joy. What is joy? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes in the academy, people don't actually talk about joy. Joy seems um, um, people confuse joy and happiness like. So joy, it's like, why would we talk about joy when there's so much suffering going on? Mm-hmm. And so um, this project actually helped us to kind of say, you know, you can have joy in the midst of suffering. Joy and suffering coexist. It's not like, you know, one Two thing. separate emotions yeah. or opposite emotions right. of each other. Actually, 
you know, suffering sometimes allows us to experience the full range of emotions. Um, And so um, it was just an interesting project because I got to work with so many um, scholars from around the world and um, got to learn a lot. So you recruited to Indiana Wesleyan. Yes. And what did you do for them? And what was that experience life and your transition from East Coast to Midwest? Okay, that's two different questions. <laughs> okay. Because it is, it's like coming into another world. So going from um, the South to kind of New England area, which mm-hmm. was a lot more elitist than I had experienced before, was its own thing, right? Just, you know, just it took a really long time to integrate into that community and have friends. Um, And then coming here to the Midwest was his own thing. I mean, it felt like a, like it almost felt Southern because of the niceties of the Midwest. I almost didn't realize how much I had been integrated into the new England, you know, and then someone was like, you know, talking to me at the coffee counter was being like really nice and polite. And I'm looking at them like suspicious of like, Hmm? Why are you being you nice know, to yeah. me? <laughs> and so, it, you know, just kind of, um, yeah, and, and just, you know, the politics and, and all of that other stuff that can get kind of um, intense when you start talking about it, all of that changed as well coming into the Midwest. And so, yeah, I feel like the Atlanta to New England and then from New England to the Midwest, they were all, th- it feels like three different parts of the world. Wow. That's amazing. So when you talk about being recruited, are people aware of you because of published writings that you have? How are, how do people become aware of you as somebody that they'd like to have come and teach or. Okay. So it's, it's actually, so, um, towards maybe two and a half years into Yale, um, I was at a kind of a natural transition point where there was a possibility for me to stay on and take over a program or um, to kind of transition out. And so I was kind of just praying about it and um, looking on the job market and Indiana Westland. And at this time, you know, I had been trained as a, a religious educator. And so often a lot of the positions I was looking at was religious education, but also um, at that time at Yale and at, I'd been at um, kind of like, the AUC area as well. So that's around Spelman Morehouse. I had did work there while I was in Atlanta. Also Emory um, grew up around Swarthmore College. And I just noticed this um, trend where a lot of universities would be in communities, but very disconnected from communities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started, I mean, that my, that interest really started when I was at Emory, but it became even more profound because we're talking about joy on this campus and you go out and, um, I mean, around Yale is some of the poorest areas in Connecticut and New Haven, right? And so I think there is where I really started to say, you know, this passion for community transformation is something I really want to do in my teaching. Um, and so um, so I was also looking, I was looking at religious education. I was also looking at positions in urban ministry. Um, and I saw a position pop up on religious education at the seminary um, and Amanda Drury, she was part of our um, part of our um, 
lecture series. She lectured on testimony. And so I, I actually, she lectured before I met her, but you know how like through emails she was responsive and she right. seemed Can't get nice. To know somebody. And so I was like, huh, you know, I knew her mentor, Kenda Creasy Dean um, from Princeton, who was on our advisory board. And so um, I was like, if she connected to Kenda, she must be good people. Um, and so I called her and I said, um, Mandy, I noticed that you work at Indiana Wesleyan University. You have a position and I was uh, thinking about applying. But can you tell me a little bit about Indiana Wesleyan University? At that time, I didn't know anything about Indiana Wesleyan University. I didn't know that the seminary and the undergraduate was separate places either. Right. Um, and, you know, she in that first conversation, she was like, um, well, you know, um, I know you're calling about the seminary, but I'm looking at your bio and we've been looking for a practical theologian who is interested in community development. Would you be interested? I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and I was like, I'm interested. You know, she yeah. was like, well, we don't have the position up yet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but if you would just give me a day yeah. and they actually created a position. Um yeah at the undergraduate. So I never even applied to the seminary and, um, you know, have had the best experience um, being a faculty at Indiana Wesleyan University within the School of Theology and Ministry with the colleagues that I work with. Um, yeah. You know, in the interview, they were really, they, they asked me, they were like, we really want to be able to integrate better into the community. Do you think this is something you could help do? I was like, Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's kind of why I came to Marion is because I was really interested in having a, a place to kind of realize this vision of what does it look like for a university to take the community serious. Mm -hmm. And then you had a trailing spouse that came with you or did you meet your spouse here or what does that what does that look like? So uh, Ronnie Farmer. Yes, he's he's he's. Yeah, he's trailed me a couple times, but he's been a really gracious, uh, wonderful spouse and is amazing. And I, I think that's just how God works, because wherever I go, it seems like all this stuff kind of bursts forth um, kind of for Ronnie. And so even when we went from Atlanta to um, Yale, um, Ronnie had the chance to, you know, he, he worked as a pastor, an executive pastor at a um, black Baptist church, which is very different from the church we, we work at now. Okay. Um, and then he worked as a resident artist at um, a uh, mission study center across the street mm. from Yale. And so he is an artist. And then he also worked at one of the um, shelters. And so he was able to kind of, kind find, of explore, his find his place. And when he came here, he worked, um, as executive or he continues to work as executive pastor at real community covenant church. And then he started a preschool, a Spanish immersion preschool. And so that has been, he started it during COVID and it's, it's doing very well. And so it's amazing. Um, yeah. If, if you don't have a happy spouse, it's, it's not <laughs> it good. Yeah. That whole joy piece is missing. Right. <laughs> well, walk us through Sarah. So you talked about, you know, where you've been, what you've been doing, what's the future look like for you? What, what are you going to be doing moving forward? And, and it sounds like you've got some exciting things coming up. Yes. I recently made a very, very, very hard decision. Um, because, uh, so I transitioned in July from Indiana Wesleyan university to 
Wabash. Wabash, yes. Center for Teaching and Learning, uh-huh. um, which is at Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Um, my position is actually a hybrid position, which means that I'm only there every other week for four days a month. And so um, I, I get to stay here in Marion. Um, but it excites me because um, I get to kind of um, do some of the work that I've started thinking about um, community, thinking about uh, pedagogy, thinking about communal care um, in a different capacity and on a different scale. And so um, at Wabash, I'll be working with faculty who teach in theology and religion um, to curate educational resources, to fund grants. So we're a funder and we also um, we gather uh, cohorts of faculty together to talk about issues that really, really are important in theological education. Um, and my new boss, Lynn Westfield, who's probably been there two years, is amazing, but she's also a visionary. And so she's thinking about kind of like, you know, you know, how do we begin to change even the culture of the college so that care and creativity and collaboration are um, kind of part of who we are when we think about teaching and learning. And so um, excited about that, but also excited to still be a Marion and to still uh, teach um, courses at Indiana Wesleyan University. Where We Landed is supported today by Mama Pearson Soporium, located on Main Street in Gas City. Products originally developed by a mom for her children with sensitive skin, everything at Mama Pearson's is created to care for your skin in a safe, all-natural way. From handmade soap, Guinness World Record bath bombs to household products, you will leave Mama Pearson's Soporium with all you need to care for your loved ones. Open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 6, and Saturday from 10 to 4, Amy and Pat Pearson are ready to help you find just what you need. Stop by 125 West Main Street, Gas City, Indiana, or reach them online at mamapearsons.com. Thank you to Mama Pearson's Soporium for supporting today's podcast. So you've introduced me to a new word. I always tell my boys learn something new every day. The word pedagogy. Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really about um, how a person gets to the place of learning and the vehicle and the means by which a, a person gets to the place in le- of learning. Um, and uh, so so how does a, a teacher help um, create a space where people can receive um, learning. And, and oftentimes people think about pedag- or have relegated pedagogy to the classroom. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is that pedagogy happens all the time, right? In ways that are explicit, implicit, and even based on what's, what's not around, right? That we are always learning what we, what's important, what's not important there through, um, the, the messages uh, with um, different things. So um, I'm really excited at this uh, new place to be able to explore pedagogy even beyond the classroom. Um, what what do institutionals teach by um, the people they invite on campus or don't invite on campus, right? Or how kids sit in a classroom. Or how kids sit in a classroom. The things that are up front versus in the back. Exactly. And all that kind of stuff plays into that. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I could nerd out on that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's some of the things that I I love. Yeah. So I get to think about that on a broader scale. You'd mentioned that you've got a new boss. Um, 
at Wabash and talked about that person's vision and stuff. It, how important is it for you to work for a boss who um, is somebody who's on your side type of thing? You know, you've, you've worked for a lot of people in your career already. And, and I guess maybe how important is it for you to have a good working relationship with your boss? Are you more of a independent person that just goes and does your own thing? Or are you somebody who really wants to collaborate with your, your boss? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a collaborator. Like I'm not, um, not, well, I won't say I'm not competitive because I like to play games and I like to win, but (laughs) just in like a work environment, I think it's so important to work together to meet the vision. And so it's really important for me to have a boss that um, feels like I'm a value add to the team and um, that I feel like I can also add value. Um, If I'm in a place where I don't feel like I can contribute, then it's automatically not a good working situation for me or that I'm not invited to contribute. Um, And so honestly, it's one of the things that made it so difficult to leave Indiana Wesleyan University because I, I'm like, man, I'm just getting started, you know, on some of the things that, you know, I was beginning to see with the program, the community development program, and um, even some of the the ways, the directions in which they're heading as it relates to community. Um, and so it was a really difficult decision to leave Indiana Wesleyan University because I did feel like I had a good working relationship. And I'm, you know, and, and of course, I'm excited to explore what this new working relationship will look like um, with a new team of people. Um, So we have conversations. Part of the uh, goal of the podcast is to discuss why people end up here and then what makes them stay or why people leave to kind of have conversation around the narrative of Grant County. So for you, since you are switching um, positions and kind of changing pathways, there is that opportunity to, um, possibly move or be closer to something or away from something or there are strings that are keeping you here. Um, share with us a little bit, and I think this is important for our community narrative, share with us the things that are kind of strings that have attached you to this community in the four years that you've been here and then some of the things that are pulling you away from this community, maybe opportunities or whatever, Um good or bad, just to kind of help understand what are those struggles and thoughts? Sure. So I'll say the things that's attaching me, and then I'll say the things that would pull me away. So the things that um, attach me hands down is are the people. Um, and so when I say people, I'm thinking about the friends I've made. Um, I've made really rich, rich friendships. Um, most of those have been through my relationships at um, my church, Um, Real Community Covenant Church, um, but also with some of my colleagues that I've met, um, I've made really important relationships. And the truth is, is and my kids, right, have also made those important. They have best friends and they have people that now love them. They have people that they want to go hang out with. And it's not always easy to kind of move into a place and make friends or to to have Mm -hmm. relationships Um, especially when you're so far away from family. Um, And so when you build those relationships that feel family-like, so Mm -hmm. I can drop my kids off and and not have to worry about them or it's hard to leave. Ronnie and I can go on a date for dinner. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's really hard to leave that. And so I think um, that um, definitely one of the things that 
is is just my students being able to teach um and it's easier for me to teach if I'm closer to Indiana Wesleyan or easier for me to teach at least here um being able to have that personal connection with students I can always teach online and I I mean I do that for other places anyway um but being able to be here connected to my colleagues with students um that's important um and so right now I'm still doing, you know, I'm still connected in that way. And so that would keep me here. Um, and then just our investment in our church, I think would, in our church, it has a vision for the community. And so when I think about my church, I'm automatically also thinking about uh, their vision lived out in the local community. The things that would cause me to move is it is a digital, it's a hybrid position. And so I do have to travel Crawfordsville is two hours away Um if it if it begins to feel like a pull on a family where I'm not mm-hmm. home enough with my kids, that would definitely cause us to reconsider being here. And honestly, the other thing which wasn't as important before Ronnie started the preschool, but now I really I really have developed a passion for my children to grow up bilingual. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know my older kids they kind of like I want to say miss the boat, but like <laughs> that's harder probably, to learn a second harder. language when you're older, <laughs> right? But now my daughter can speak a little bit of Spanish and like. Uh, there's no other school in the area that has taken on the challenge of doing grade school. We've um, tried to begin some conversations to see what partners we can have um, to, to make that happen. But um, if there's a possibility for her to grow up bilingual, um, I think it's just such an amazing opportunity for her um, in the future. And so that would actually pull me in another direction. Well, too. and you and Scott kind of share a little bit of that in common because he's working. Um, his wife is bilingual and they just adopted a little boy and he's trying to learn Spanish, learn Spanish yeah. so that it's, it's Leo. a challenge. Um, what, what are the things that you have really liked? I know you mentioned the people here, but what are the things? So moved here within the last five years what are the things that you really like about Grant County and what are the things you say, man, if I could change something about Grant County, here might be something that I might change about Grant County. Um, the things that I've loved about Grant County is, um, is the type of place that when you bring new ideas, you can see the fruit of it. and You don't have to work always for years and years and years. Like, you know, you can see things develop. You can measure some of the impact. Um, and measuring impact is not always easy and you can't do it with everything. But I feel like if you're going to do it anywhere, you can do that in a place like um, Marion. Um, and so that's one of the things I love. Um, just um, the. Um, well, I've already said I love I love the people that I've um, been able to connect with. Um, I know that this county is a county that gives a lot. Um and so it seems like there's a lot of nonprofits at work in the community. And so um, once again, I feel like you can you can kind of come in and you can get to know the people who are leaders pretty easily. Like that hasn't been a challenge for me to kind of get to know some of the people um, in the county who are making decisions. Now, if I was to think about kind of things to change, I think if you aren't born and bred here in Marion, you always feel like an outsider to the people who are born and bred in the community. And so um, it's hard unless you already have have an in 
to feel like you are fully immersed in the community without people saying you're an outsider. Yeah. And so it's like, it's people that I know who've been here for 20 years and they're still considered outsiders because mm-hmm. they wasn't born and raised. And the truth is, I think if a community, the, a community has to also be open enough to embrace people as their own. Um, if, if, you know, if, if the community um, wants to continue to grow and yeah. expand. And so that's been a challenge. And, and I would agree. So as I shared with you, so I bought a business here four years ago, just over four years ago. And I, I would agree with that sentiment. I, um, one of the first things that I did was join a group called Rotary through Kylie Jackson, who's one of the co-hosts and, and Alicia's and Iris, all four of us are in Rotary. And, and that's really been a good place for me to try to engage and, and learn. And really what I've tried to do is then have the people who are there just kind of put their arm around me and introduce me to other people so that I felt like, Hey, there's somebody from here that vouches for me almost type of thing in order to be able to try to, to navigate the social circles and, in, in different parts of the economy here. So, so I, I agree with you on that. Um, what, what, one thing I was going to ask you also, so I've shared over the last few episodes about culture and culture in Grant County, culture in America, but how to, in Grant County specifically, some different cultural things. So we had talked earlier this morning about, uh, or not this morning, but earlier in the episodes about individualism versus collectivism. You know, how, what's this county stand for? We talked on another episode about masculinity versus femininity, and and we've kind of said, hey, it's, it's maybe a good mix here. Um, but another one is a term called uncertainty avoidance. So it's how comfortable people are with just ambiguity or change. And I'd be curious from your perspective as to where, like a, a scale of one to 10, and, and we're really good with change in Grant County or one being, hey, we've got a challenge there with, with that uncertainty, ambiguity type of thing. So I didn't know if you had any perspective on that as a professor, um, as an educator, also as a, somebody who's a spouse of a minister here in town, you know, just what your perspective is on our, our, what I'd call our uncertainty, ambiguity. And this is um, from my limited perspective. <laughs> um, I think there's a little um, fear around um, change. Um, and I think there's openness to change only when there's full trust. Um and once again, I think full trust plays into some of the things that um, I mentioned before. Um, but I, I do think there's there's some f- fear around change because so much of tradition is also about territory, claims, pride, um, a sense of ownership. Um, and to come in and do something different feels like it's taking um, sometimes. Um, and so I do I do think that there's, um, there's a sense of fear. Yeah. I'd agree with you on that. I think for me, when I think about the community, cause I wasn't born and raised here, but been here most of my life still feel kind of like an outsider, still identify kind of as an outsider. Um, for me, I wonder if that uncertainty around change that, uh, 
almost lack of willingness to be okay with failing at something or trying something and saying, oh, but it didn't work the way I thought I would. And so you back up a little bit might come from the fact that when I listen to previous generations that have been in Grant County, it's about um, the change they've seen has been traumatic change. Mm. So it's loss of business. It's loss of industry. People don't want to be here anymore. They don't see any value in us anymore. And so it's that traumatic pull out of pride um, where really we have Indiana Wesley in our school systems and GM to be proud of, right? Like that's what we're hanging on to. And so when change has been negative, I can understand why there's a fear of it to believe or hope that it's going to be a positive change. Um, I think you see communities where there has been a lot of change, but it's been positive change that's brought in things and people are like, Oh, um, I think about the, like the art installations that are going in the murals that are going up. And, um, initially when they started going up, you were hearing, Oh, it's graffiti. It's this, it's going to bring a bad population here, blah, blah, blah. And then you get them up and you're like, Oh wow. Like this is art. This is beautiful art that you can drive by anywhere in our community. And now it's becoming kind of more accepted that that's a, you know, it's not going to bring the scary people right to the community so um, for me I agree with you that that fear is there and I hope eventually we can start shifting gears around you'll maintain that fear if you don't at least try I mean right and I think part of it is like I feel like based on who you talking to the fear might be different right what community Mm -hmm. you're talking to and I think I agree I think the fears are legitimate fears um and i think the innovation is so important and critical in order for um things to move to move forward and to move so that it's you know you don't get stuck because i think uh, communities can get stuck um in in innovation is what helps communities move from stuckness um yeah. If you were to give us advice, we're just friends here type of thing. To have talk. <laughs> so our population has been in decline for 50 years in Grant County. Not significant, but slowly. Um, what are the things that you'd say, here's how we can reverse that trend and start getting more and more people into Grant County? How do How do we increase our population in Grant County. Anything that you would say this is your perspective as a somewhat newbie to the county you know, last five years? Um, I would definitely say uh, kind of doing some of the innovative things with the schools that you see other communities are doing. Um, and it, you know, it, it may just be, you know, this school emphasizes art or like if you go in other communities, cause I, f- I feel like families, at least families will come to a community when they feel like their children can be um, educated um, well. And I, and I'm not saying that uh, cause my kids have been in um, public school, except for this year, they've always been in public school. And so they've been educated well, but like I said, like that Spanish immersion thing is, is, it's a new vision 
Um, it does require just a little bit more, but that I think that stuff like that literally will bring people here because it's a niche. Um, I also think people will come if they feel like they can make a job, if they can have a job that is beyond livable wage. So, so it's something that they can actually um, thrive in and have things, you know, um, beyond kind of living from paycheck to paycheck. And I also think just um, if people felt like they could come and knew that in regards to who are, who the decision makers are, that there is a place at the table for everyone um, and that how things get kind of poured down into the community would be um, kind of equitable. I think it would make people more willing to come. Yeah. Great perspective, Sarah. It, you know, it's interesting too. Um, I've asked Alicia this question before and others in the community, like who are the key decision makers in the community? And there are names that come up often, but there's also, I think, a real opportunity for people to step up and, and be able to step into leadership roles in this community. Um, and, and so I think that's a unique thing about Grant County. Like if you want to lead, this is a place that you could come to and begin to gain influence and have an opportunity to lead and, and have your own voice. Um, it just takes time building those relationships, I think. So I agree. And I think it also, uh, overcoming the fear, um, and also overcoming the mistrust that has been, um, kind of because of, you know, trying to, to lead and not being able to kind of be welcomed or to, to actually sit at the tables that are actually kind of making the decisions that matter for your community. And so I do think um, you're right. I do think there is an opportunity to lead, but I think sometimes people won't even step up because in their minds, they're like, um, I, I know what that's going to be like. Yeah. So. Um, are you reading anything good right now? Are you watching anything good on TV? You listen to anything good podcast wise? Of course, other than where we landed. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's the <laughs> best podcast ever. So I, this is the summer. So honestly, I mean, I could say something academic, but <laughs> to be honest, what I listen to during the summer is like Christian mystery romance. Yeah. Kind of like a Hallmark <laughs> In book form. Actually, I listen to it more like audio. I just, yes. Yeah, some of the things I talk about when I'm teaching are really hard stuff. We're talking about community development. We're talking about complex issues. We're talking about race, class, and gender. Like We're talking about all the things. Mm -hmm. And like during the summer, being able to get a reprieve, um, a little reprieve. Um, yeah. That's what that's the type of things I like. Superhero movies. You may have done this earlier. Um but tell us about your kiddos. So you, you, you mentioned that you've got some children. And so walk me through that. Where are they? Where are they at age wise? All those things. So I have three children. Um, Elisha just turned 11 and he's in sixth grade. Micah just turned. No, he's he will turn nine um, and he is in third grade. And then Acacia she just um, is now in kindergarten and she's five. She'll be six. Yeah. So you've got them all in, in classes at this point. Huh? Yep. Yes. Thank, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate teachers. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it amazing how teachers really can impact young lives and stuff? So it's, yeah, we feel the same way about our little guy and having him being educated. 
It's nice to be. How old is your guy? He's two and a half. Oh. So we've got him in a daycare preschool, but it's amazing (laughs) how much they learn even at two and a half. So it is a good thing for us. Um, Sarah, so your time at Indiana Westland, and I know you're still there to some extent doing some adjunct type of things. What's been your favorite thing while you were at Indiana Wesleyan? What do you think you were able to impact the most with your students there or with the other faculty members? Was there anything that you'd say, I felt like I really made an impact? I would say two things. I think um, we really um, began not just within STM, but also within a larger faculty to begin to address issues around race um, and belonging um, which I think um, it is definitely an important conversation. We know it's an important conversation in regard to retention, but also just in regard to at every single level for how people um, succeed and, and feel valued in a place. And so I think that's one contribution. But the other contribution that I feel probably most proud about is um, I've been there long enough to see some of my students who have like did internships got jobs and are now in the community. Like I just had a student who um, graduated and she was working and now she's going to be um, director at 21st century scholars or something. So, I mean, just like seeing them actually uh, live out kind of this idea that you kind of plant yourself or you invest yourself as long as you're there, you invest yourself. And I think that investment actually gives you an opportunity to fall in love with the place. Um, sometimes I think students come into a place and they feel like I'm only here for four years, so I'm just going to focus on friendships here. And I think in the community development program, we've tried to say, no, you need to like learn the community that's around you. This, yes, Indiana Wesleyan University and the students and the, you know, yes, this is your community, but Marion is also your community. Grant County is also your community. And while you're here, you are also supposed to steward this you know, your time and investment there as well. So I've seen some of the fruit of um, what students have learned and it it makes me really feel proud of my students. And I think I've had several of your students when I was at the United Way as interns and did student projects and stuff like that. And they were always so curious and so bright and uh, not only willing to challenge themselves, but challenge the community. And I think you did a really good job of helping them understand that if they integrate here um that wherever they go like yes you'll have your job friends just like yes you have your indiana wesleyan friends and your indiana wesleyan community but when you get there you still have to integrate yourself there so learn how to do that here in kind of that safe environment where you have mentors and pre-existing intentionally created relationships where you know like you and I would talk and you're like okay I'm sending you this student (laughs) here's the deal like we've got you know whatever and so we're literally training them and walking alongside them in a safe environment to learn how to try and fail and readjust and um, I think that was a for me a really unique opportunity to help them understand how to do that regardless of where they they end up right and um of course selfishly because i cared about talent then and i care about talent now i always hoped that they would get integrated enough that they go 
why not here? I already have it. Why should I go somewhere else and build it again? Right. <laughs> you know, just stay here. So um, that was always my secret goal behind it all. But <laughs> I'm, I'm curious too on your community development. I'm sorry, Kirk. To, okay. So the community development side of you, that mindset that you have, anything practical that we could be doing differently to better build community here in Grant County and any like whether it's bricks and mortar, is there an organization, is there a structure, anything from your perspective that you'd say, and if I was, if I was the advisor to the, the leaders that be, here's what I would be looking at. And what I was going to ask was how does a community, <clears throat> excuse me, measure, how are we doing? Yeah. How can they, how can they figure out where they're at in a process like that? I think one way to measure is to, I'll say a couple of things, is to listen to the conversations that people are having, you know, um, like are our communities at an impasse? Like, do they feel like, you know, there's bricks and they can't get past it? Like, are communities at a, a, a part where they feel like, oh, now I see um, that change is coming. Now I feel like a little more motivation toward thing, which I, I do feel like we're not at an impact. I feel like we're at a catalytic stage um, in Marion. Um, I'm not sure what COVID has done. I, th I don't think COVID, um, that, that's another conversation, but I do think we're at a catalytic stage. I think that there's been enough newness, like businesses downtown and things like that, where people feel like, like you said, that we can, we have a voice and we, we will see change and we can, can see things, but I think um, that's one way to measure is the conversations that are happening. But I think to your to your point or to your question, Scott, like um, this is the hardest thing, but I think is is the most important is I I think like how do you build friendships across difference? Like how do you build friendships so that um, business owners and people who are clients are sitting at the same table or um, I, I, I know it, I don't want to be repetitive, but that, that like when we go to tables where leaders are, um, there has to be um, different races, different socioeconomic, like there has to be the people who are impacted by the decisions at the same table as those making the decisions. And I think that's for like from from Indiana Westland to like um, community foundations to uh, school boards to like wherever, you know, all kinds of that that there has to be diverse leadership. And I think it, it really starts there because there's a lot of work in regard to intercultural competency and like just learning how to love each other. Well, mm -hmm. um, that's hard and difficult and messy. Um, but that's where trust is built. Um, if I can eat at your table, um, and I can like get to know you as a person, then I don't, I can't demonize you anymore. I can't mm -hmm. say you don't care about me. I can't say you don't, but, you know, because I've I've seen the way you love your kids and I've seen the way you, you know, we, we have some of the same goals. We just think think differently about how to get get there. And so um, I think like building community is all about extending a table and getting getting the right people around the table. And that's man, that's hard, messy work. 
Yeah, yeah, it really is. I giggle because I always joke. I filter who's on my friends list on my social medias based on who I'm comfortable having drinks and dinner with. If I won't <laughs> sit down and have drinks and dinner with that person, they're not on my social media. Yeah. And if they won't do the same for me, then they're not on my social media. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't know what to tell you. Like, yep. <laughs> so, um, so it sounds like I might be in the right, right lane for some of that stuff. So, well, Sarah, we have really, really enjoyed having you on the podcast. This time has just flown by. You're always inspirational and I really appreciate getting uh, to spend time with you and uh, for you giving your time to do to do this and share your vision and hopes and dreams for our community. So thank you so much. And, and I was going to also say thank you for investing in, in this community, uh, both personally as well as with your, your work side. Um, and we wish you the best at Wabash as well as you uh, begin that journey. <laughs> Thank you. We'll do our best to keep the tethers tight to keep you here, <laughs> right? So um, the first school that wants to do an emerging <laughs> elementary, let's get to talking. That's right. Um, so thank you so much for listening to us today. We will drop another podcast next week. So make sure that you like us and follow us so you know when those happen. And if you have any suggestions for people you would like to hear on the podcast, make sure you hit up our social media on Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Today's podcast was engineered by Kyra Montero of Frequency Canvas.